The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. back to the ninth installment of into the void i'm here with dr brian sovereign and corsec um welcome back guys yeah great to be here as always hello our little cabal yeah, convenes it, again oh here we go <laughs> yeah. yeah if you uh if you've been on the stream we have we've been talking and chilling for a second but um hate everybody we're back with another one of these i'm, I'm glad to be doing one i i'd love these i keep just doing this for the podcast for that so. you know we missed the opportunity to call the seventh one seven 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 and <laughs> i think we should have done that we can do it with 13 though yeah yeah well, is, it, uh, is this eight this is the eighth one right this is the ninth or ninth? Is it ninth oh it's the ninth, it's the ninth. Yeah. i mean it depends okay. on when you start counting we had a zero yeah i would say we there's had a zero. zero see there's a zero yeah. yeah that's how i like to think about it yeah all right well then this is that way that way we could use the same numbers yeah you know, zero <laughs> and then one two three four five six seven eight nine yep so uh well starting know, right got, off uh, what's on the docket today well no first before we get into anything uh, i just want to con uh, congratulate brian on his new cult and my um <laughs> <laughs> wait a my, minute uh, what did i do my, my, my only question is like what kind of sneakers are you gonna is gonna wear no i'm i'm just kidding <laughs> Oh, we're wearing I Vibram Five know. Fingers all the way. Yeah, no, go ahead. Say again. <laughs> Which ones are you going with? I right, said so we're, we're going with Vibram Five Fingers all the way. Like okay, uh, there you yeah, go. It's yeah, fat, all natural. Know, all right. <laughs> yeah, also a bit fashionable, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just giving shit Brian shit because he's Brian's taking a turn into the spiritual on his, um, I don't know, platforms, various mediums, and I know the worst possible thing that brian fears is becoming a cult leader so <laughs> i had to give that's what the joke was so in case anyone yeah. didn't get that um so yeah no that was that right but i've been no, thank i've you. been digging it and i know that a lot of other people been digging it so uh keep doing that yeah no thanks i, I appreciate that I, I admittedly and i've said this for years on my show i mean i've always been terrified of getting what i call elrond you know where you, you know you, you, you turn into elrond hubbard even if you don't ever want to be um, I have no desire to be a leader of any kind, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, uh, people have been enjoying a lot of the more spiritual conversations and, you know, I, I, and to, just to share the love. Um, I mean, I got to admit being on this show has given me a lot of opportunity to explore some of the crazier aspects of all of that. And I say that in the nicest and greatest way. Um, so you guys, I mean, this has really been 
being on the Agora podcast in general has been a almost a training ground for a lot of these subjects that I've danced around, but I've never really spent time just going nuts with. And when when there's two other people with you, basically it displaces the insanity. So, you know, I can sound insane, but since I'm with you guys, like it's okay. <laughs> it's to where if it's just me, it's like if you're an alcoholic, right? You're only an alcoholic if you drink alone. If you have right. other people with you, it's fine. So, yeah, you know, you're it, just dragging us under the bus with you. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not crazy if I'm alone, if I'm not alone. So thank you. <laughs> I got to tell you, I really, I love these conversations, but there's mm -hmm. uh, something a bit different. Like, cause you know, when you're alone and you're trying to fill an hour, you can, it's different than a conversation. You can kind of go in a lot of different places and wherever you want to go. So sure. I enjoy having if you don't know, become a patron of Brian's podcast and you'll know what we're talking about. But Brian goes into like long, hour long Q and A's where he just, you know, just goes into it's a lot of back and forth with the audience, but it's a lot of like his own thoughts on a lot of different things. Um so you get that you know, like hour long stream of consciousness. Hold on. Hour long stream of consciousness, which what we do here is fucking awesome, but it's a whole different thing when you can just say everything you're feeling without being kind of interrupted or anything, you know? Yeah, I can imagine doing a Q&A like by myself for an, for an hour. I can almost because you, you get a prompt, I guess, to go on. But mm -hmm. I got to say, like, if you're doing episodes, and I've said this before, if you're doing episodes solo podcasting, it's just such a different thing than than doing uh, even just two guests going back and forth with each other, even if it's not like a interview show, which is also another kind of structure. But like that's really takes some talent to uh to fill in a, a single person, you know, a radio show, if you don't have like callers or anything, or like, you know, a, a podcast, especially. So uh, yeah. kudos to, you know, if you're able to actually pull that off that, and you definitely are, cause you kind of have the, you know, well, I guess would have been called radio talent and everything. Um, but yeah, audio spoken word recording talent. Yeah. that It takes a, a, a order of magnitude more to do, to do that format. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just, you know, not, not going to claim I'm anything special, uh, but, you know, it is rare in the podcasting world to find like one person who will get behind the mic for two hours plus, you know, and, and just be able to riff and talk about whatever and keep it interesting for two hours. And, you know, I, I'd been doing that for over 10 years. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, actually I'm very hard pressed to think of other people that do it. And, and I think it is tough to keep it interesting. You know, uh, it is it. And, and I say this, you know, I agree, like perhaps it is a different, type of talent, you know, to, to be able to do that. But, um, it's always more interesting when you have more people, I think, no matter how good you are solo, it's always great when you have other people. And so, you know, that's why I always enjoy doing these. Well, it was like, I was trying to make the point about failing the last time or two where uh, we were all together is when you have like three people like us together, it like almost creates like a fourth thing. Like it creates yes. something greater than the, the three of us almost since, we all kind of, um, you know, riff off of each other and come yep. bring our own perspectives and bring up stuff that, you know, the other guys might not have thought of, that sort of thing. So it almost creates a, a, a whole a separate thing, uh, you know, for, uh, unique from each, all of us. Yeah, 100%. So what are we bringing to the table this time? Was Is it rain dancing? Is that, is that well, what I remember? Okay, so I'm going to get into rain dancing, but I'm going to give drop okay. a little teaser. So later on, um, more on this at 11. We are going to talk about uh, Judaism within Judaism and how they are possibly satanic. More on that at 11. Um, <laughs> All right. 
I mean, but yes, right it now, is, but please rain go. Rain dancing. <laughs> rain right. dancing. Because I, huh? I left this clip hanger, and I've been kind of thinking about it. So, Sure. All right. Uh, how do I want to go? This is my thought. How do I want to lay it out, though? So, like, uh, ancient cultures were very interested in things like rain dancing and sounds, different kinds of sounds to achieve different things. And so, you know, during the Enlightenment era, era people looked at, the, you know, they were very rational and scientific, and they looked at that sort of thing as superstitious nonsense, right? So, fast forward, like, a, you know, a couple hundred years from the Enlightenment, and now science is actually catching up to what the ancient peoples were, were doing, in a sense. So, like, sound, just to kind of, and you can check me on this if you want to but sound is used for like they use it to levitate matter uh very little they can only do very little with that so far but who knows what that will be in like 20 years um they use it as a weapon uh they use it to clean and sterilize things um etc it's used for like, hundreds of different applications now and it's only improving and it's it's come a long way in even just the past five ten years so just kind of imagine like what that might look like, you know, 20, 50 years from now. Um, and then it, knowing what we know now and to go back and, and look at like ancient peoples and they say over and over again that they used, I mean, the obvious one would be, you know, the walls of Jericho, but is it, is it that, um, go back and look at history with what we know now. And it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility that, that maybe they maybe understood something that we are just now sort of rediscovering. So, you know, there's nothing that exists now that in terms of sound that can change the weather that we fucking know of. Um, but, you know, give it 20, 50, 100 years. And I, I, I don't see that as out of the realm of like legitimate science. So I guess what I'm saying is, is I tend to think that maybe there was something to rain dancing or chanting or even like, um, the Hindi people and the, the Buddhists with the Om. And um, maybe there is something to various uh, sounds, maybe something along the lines of like what they call like harmonic resonance, where if you can match the vibration of a particular object, you can manipulate matter in certain ways, either destroy it, move it, shape it, whatever the thing is. So is it possible that maybe, um, I mean, I tend to think it's true, but uh, I'd like to know what you guys think. Is it possible that they knew? Uh, maybe that's how they built the pyramids. Is it, did the ancient people understand sound technology possibly better? Like we tend to think of ourselves better because we have electricity and digital technology, but it's possible that they had just different technology than we do now. Um, what do you guys think? Do you feel uncomfortable donating to big charities that work hand-in-hand -hand with big government? Consider donating to Voluntarism in Action, a liberty-oriented charity operating through a decentralized network of volunteers. Check us out at viaction.org. And yes, we accept crypto donations. That's viaction.org. Penguin, what do you got? You, you got anything on this one? <laughs> Rain dances are real. You know, Let's go. To, to be honest with you, um, I uh, call me skeptical. I don't know. I would, I, I'd love to hear what Brian has to say about that if you know any more more about it. But uh, call me, call me skeptical. I do think that people would especially want 
to see rain like that's a universal thing like there is you know there's an islamic prayer for rain which is not really one for necessarily everything um mm -hmm. uh, because it's one of the most important things that you could want when you don't have rain and you need it um and I, I think especially you know my day-to-day -day life you know rain can kind of be a, a, a bummer um and we really take rain for granted but uh rain is like something you really 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 want to happen and are really concerned when it it doesn't happen for a long period of time so i can totally see why like that is like the first thing that should come up um yeah but i, I don't know call me skeptical that you know so a few people chanting or, or dancing could create some kind of harmonic resonance that would uh cause it to rain but uh what do you think brian yeah um so i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go with the idea that it's something a little more indirect um i think it's an interesting idea i think that uh, sonic, what would be the term for it? Sonic technology, uh, I think maybe one of those higher end technologies, more advanced technologies that we end up finding out can really do just about anything. Um, I mean, yes, you know, it is used in, in various types of weaponry. Um, I even have experience with some of that weaponry, like LRADs. Um, those are, those are very weird. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it, you know, not even not even laughing about it. it it's, it's a very strange feeling when when you're ever being uh, quote unquote sonically assaulted by one of those. Uh, I mean, your body just feels, yeah, it's very not comfortable at all. Um, but as far as you know, with rain dances, I think the direction I would go with that. I am open to the idea that a rain dance actually did cause rain. Um, but what I would argue that it more caused, is it generated a mental state and this is through the tones of the chanting like I, I i do i do agree that the sound is a part of it okay um created a mental space or a a, a mindset within say the tribe or within the people engaged in the rain dance um that would allow for a local um uh, weather event, you know, where, where basically with their thoughts, they were controlling, you know, the, the, the local, uh, yeah, the, the local environment, uh, to the point that they could cause rain. So for example, I mean, this would be something akin to, you know, binaural beats like hemisync, uh, this kind of idea, like the work of Dr. Robert Monroe, uh, where he would, you know, suggest that you could get your, you know, using, and for him, he would use what are called binaural beats, um, and where, you know, this different sound is getting in, you know, is, is going into your ears and that is getting your brain kind of fired up to certain frequencies and allowing it to do things that would be considered, you know, by most people, miraculous and completely unscientific. Um, and would, could that end up, you know, could you use that kind of ability to the point that you could cause rain to come down in a certain area? Uh, honestly, I would say so, you know, one of one a few episodes back of into the void, you know, when I was on, I, you know, I talked about how the universe is tripartite. It's, it comprises of space time thought. And that thought is one of the drivers of those, you know, uh, of that equation. And, you know, if you could, if you could tune your brain and that's where the sound comes in, if you could tune your brain in that way. Uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm open to that possibility that that's, that's what happens. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what, what, do you have anything to, to, to say on that sex? Let me just see if I can, if I follow you here. So like sure. the, the sound and the chanting is put, putting the human into a certain mental state. 
mm-hmm. and maybe that mental state resonates with the sort of the greater universe or its surrounding environment to where it can manipulate the environment through correct its will okay yep bingo no i'm i'm with you there i'm I, that makes that probably might make more sense actually um so i i can, I can agree with that more to that that is uh i'm anything that comes down to manifesting your will upon reality i'm probably open to mm-hmm. um, but what about sound uh otherwise like throughout history i mean i i know that a few examples that are mentioned in, in ancient text mm-hmm. um i you might know more than i um do you think that that is a, a technology that was maybe lost throughout history yeah yeah i do um i well for for a few reasons um it's fascinating that now, part of the reason, okay, so we look at ancient history and we have a lot of structures, buildings, you know, not, not just megaliths, you know, not just these, you know, statues or, or the pyramids or whatever, though the pyramids are certainly an interesting example. Uh, we have a lot of these buildings that are made of stone, but are made of stone in such a way that it'd be very difficult, if not impossible, for us to even emulate right now. Um, and, and there are many of these in South America. Uh, of course, you know, most people do want to bring up the pyramids, at least that it'd be an incredible challenge to do it. Um, you have, you know, massive stones in in, in parts of uh, parts of Europe um, that, you know, no, that have been there forever, but nobody should be able to move, let alone cut. Um, you, know, you, you do have a lot of these examples um, and sound is often the example that comes up. And usually somebody will bring up at least it's like, okay, well, where's the, where's the example of this technology that could have moved these things that have created this? Well, there's a twofold thing to this. One is as as far as where's the technology, uh, a lot of people want to point at um, Edward uh, Lee Chaikin, I think his name was the guy who, who built the coral castles in Florida. Um, This is a, a bit of a mystery, even though some people have said that they've debunked it successfully. Um, But basically you just had this, this little Polish dude who moved to, the U.S. to to be with this woman, and um, he <laughs> he wanted. Oh yeah, to build, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he, he want go ahead. Built monoliths in his yard, right? Like yeah, big, he built, moved big stones and that. Yeah, yeah. Look it up. Coral right. Castles in Florida. Uh, it, it's and he's the only guy that was there. There was no one. He would have people drop off the stone, and then he would, you know, he like he'd say, "Okay, see you later." And he had like a ladder and there was this little box that you can see in some of the pictures. And it's one of these really mysterious things. And he even wrote, apparently he even wrote books about it. Uh, well, he did write books about it. Of course, you know, authorship, I guess, sometimes becomes in question, but I don't think so really. Uh, where he was talking about using degrees of, you know, electromagnetism and whatever. I mean, because he's building these gigantic structures on his own. He's the only guy there. And he's this little dude. And even, and, and he doesn't have all the, you know, can one guy do it with, the, you know, proper, whatever cat vehicles or something, you know, sure, I suppose. Um, but he didn't have any of that. And so it, it's, it's one of those, uh, one of those odd modern mysteries as far as doing it, but did he use some kind of ultrasonic, uh, technology? Yeah, maybe, maybe he did. Um, is that how the pyramids were built? That was his claim is that this is the same way that many ancient structures were, were built that way. Um, but the twofold, the reason I say the twofold part. So one is, is that it does appear there is, there's some kind of technology that was used. 
that we don't have a great understanding of for building some of these structures as well as some of the megaliths, uh, you know, not just the buildings, but the buildings is what I want to kind of concentrate on. Um, some of these buildings that have been, that were made even, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, were built with a degree of complexity, not just that we don't know exactly how it was done, but there's no good reason to even do that. Like, like we have a hard time. And this is the part that most people don't want to think about because a lot of guys will come in. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, the, these ancient alien theorists are nuts, which I agree with, but you know, these ancient alien theorists are nuts. You know, we can, we can prove how they built this and how they did that. And you, okay. You might be able to prove you might. And I say might, because they don't always you might be able to prove a practical way in which they did it. Think, for example, the Easter Island heads. You know, now there are claims that, yeah, we know how they did it and they could have done it, you know, like this with logs and whatever else. Okay. But none of these uh, 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 theories as to how they did it ever answer the why. They never explain the why. And that is actually where I find things to be a little more interesting in why are you building with these gigantic or why, you know, why are you building these, these, or not, not just the megaliths again, just these stone buildings that, uh, well, again, they survived until today. Um, and I think that the reason they were built the way that they were is kind of a walls of Jericho scenario where they were trying to figure out how the hell do we build something that can withstand, uh, say, some kind of advanced technology we don't know that that people had at the time, whether it's some kind of ultrasonic weaponry, um, you know, for example, like the shofar horn that people would argue about, um, you know, what what was that for? But clearly they were building things uh, not just to last, but to survive something that we don't really understand. At least that's my opinion on it. Penguin, what do you got? Yeah, I, that's a great point, I think. It's like... Uh, ask ourselves uh why did they build these giant things with the level of technology they had and the level of sophistication they had their data they why would they drop their day-to-day -day lives which you know couldn't be but so i mean i'm sure they were could often be fulfilling for them but couldn't be but so comfortable i mean there's always something to strive for in, in that level of like technology why are you going to go and build these giant structures that were often built i mean it depends on what part of the world you're talking about but we're talking about in many cases like many 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 thousands of years ago in, in when you're talking about the old world the middle east and you know asia minor stuff like that some of the big temple structures uh some of the stuff they found in bosnia have to be super old um right and 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 the get together that level of manpower and take take them away from I, I guess you know agriculture seasonal and stuff like that of course and certainly they had apparently a lot of people had these voluntary confederations where they'd come together and to build these like temple structures for whatever reason but why what's the what is the religion what is the purpose is it i mean as certainly isn't quite exactly religion as we know it today um you know it's some of that is going to have to remain a mystery to us because there's just no system of writing and recording these things i mean it's basically a, a world where where you know stuff is passed down orally and this person to person communications and so on and so forth and they were actually accomplishing these things before like widespread use of writing i mean this is just there's no writing um that basically survives i mean of course you know maybe some not even really on like some medium that you know uh you know, for example, uh, paper and papyrus, stuff like that, you know, we, we know a lot of ancient writing because it was on stone tablets and stuff like that. But um, 
There's no evidence that these people were writing and they were building these gigantic structures. And again, the mystery is how. Um, the Easter Islanders, you're on an island like that and you're building giant statues for what purpose we really cannot imagine. And maybe we will never be able to necessarily imagine what was in their minds um, because there is no way for them to transmit over time like what that was. But it seems like a right. whole lot of work and they seemed awfully motivated for like people in the bronze age or the late stone age or whatever age they're in they seem awfully motivated to build these things and i'm totally open that it could be like some kind of sonic technology or something like that very likely was i mean or maybe it was just sheer manpower and leverage and ingenuity but some of this stuff is pretty uncanny and i cannot just imagine being a person then and having the motivation to come together in like groups way bigger, like you would need the level of manpower way bigger than they were working with on a day-to-day -day basis. People were coming in from different, I think, what's the one in Turkey that I want you always hear about? Um, Go back Lake Tepe? That's or, the one. Yes, yeah, okay. that's the one. I'm sure there's others, but that's the one I'm thinking of. Like, like they said, that was built by not like some giant empire, but but people from the entire surrounding region. They converged. They were all living in that one area. There was no mega city or mega state or anything like that, and they converged um, for some purpose where they were highly motivated to build these things and you can just look at all these other large structures and the level of people probably living on easter island and to, to build those so many of those things um i can't imagine what would motivate that level of, of, of labor and whatever however they all the technology they used to do that so i think it's a big mystery i'm totally open to science technology but even just as important i think is like why why do it yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll add in, I'm going to, I'm going to add in a little bit to this in that, um, in fact, I used to, when I used to speak at a lot of cryptocurrency conferences, you know, and, um, this was at the time when even a lot of libertarian types were saying, uh, you know, even more than Peter Schiff, uh, were saying things like, oh, Bitcoin is, is nonsense, you know, like at least with gold, you could make a fork out of it and you can do this. And, you know, it's not, it's not real money, blah, blah, blah. Well, that led me to getting into a conversation and I got asked to be at a lot of conferences, you know, to go over this of, okay, wait a minute, but how did gold ever become a big deal? You know, and usually the answer that people will give is because, well, it's pretty. Okay. But there's lots of things that are pretty, you know, and, and there's no reason like the, the process it takes to mine gold is not really an easy process. I mean, you know, it's not all panning like 49ers, you know, a couple hundred or, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever, um, you know, and, and, and just sifting through it in the river or something like that. In most parts of the world, this is a very difficult process to go through. Um, and that's not even getting into the oddball point that there seem to be gold mines that are over a hundred thousand years old, which there's not supposed to be any civilization anywhere near that. But yet here are people mining for gold. Why are they doing that? Um, and, you know, because there's easier things. If you just want that prettiness, well, then then just pick up some pyrite. That's all over the place. You know, that's pyrite is, is the technical term for what's commonly known as fool's gold. Um, you know, just use that if you need something pretty. What is the obsession with gold? And the reality is there's no, there's not a very good answer. Um, 
you know, we can come up with all the intrinsic reasons why gold is so valuable and useful today, but it's only useful to a modern technological society in those ways. Okay. It's only useful like, okay, oh, it's great in electronics. Awesome. That's good for us. But what about the people, you know, 10,000 years ago that you say don't have electronics? How, you know, what does it matter to them? But it seemed to matter to them a great deal. Uh, and, you know, it ends up becoming this, this real symbol of wealth and power. You know, what's the score with this? And I would argue that it must have either they saw someone use gold in a technological uh, fashion. And so they, they saw it as some form of power and they, you know, and so they, they, they just picked up on it like a cargo cult as it were, um, or uh, that it was useful in fending off some kind of ancient technology that we just don't know, similar to the same reason that uh, they built, you know, buildings so overly complex uh, you know, that, that we can't imagine why, you know, I think they fall in the same vein where we, we, we actually really, you know, it, I love this conversation of why would they, what, what motivates them to do this and to go through this? And there's not a lot of good answers, you know, for us to imagine. What do you got, Zach? I'm just going to jump in and back up your boy there. And uh, I'm going to say the, the aliens just programmed us to mine for gold. <laughs> My boy Sitchin? Is that? <laughs> boy Sitchin, yeah. yeah. Well, that's Sorry. Zachariah Sitchin's theory is that, uh, and, and I mean, and that's, it's, oh boy. I mean, that's one of the things where, boy, he comes in and, and it, it kind of proves him right because, so his theory was in the 12th planet um, is that the planet Nibiru, its atmosphere had been destroyed you know, due to, similar to what's going, or arguably similar to what's going on today with climate change, blah, blah, blah. They destroyed their ozone. They destroyed their atmosphere. And so his, his theory was that they were using gold in the atmosphere um, to deflect UV and, you know, other harmful forms of radiation. Now, you can come up, I mean, when he said that back in the 70s or even the 60s, you know, and he's laying this out, uh, people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Like that, that, that's ridiculous. A, that's not a problem. B, why would you do that? Well, fast forward to the Obama administration when you have Cass Sudstein, who's, you know, kind of part of the cabinet. And one of his recommendations is let's launch gold flakes into the atmosphere to deflect all this, you know, all, all the climate change and everything. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. You, you, you said Sitchin was nuts, you know, for, for suggesting such a thing. Uh, and, and Sitchin was basing it off of, you know, his interpretation of what the Anunnaki wanted to do with their plan in Nibiru, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, it's just one of those oddball things where, wow, you know, as wrong as he may be on things, there's things that he should have never been right on, that he was dead on the money and way ahead of the scientific community. Wait, did this just, he was right on Neptune, right? He called. He was also right about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was right he, on a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. So so just for quick clarity. So Sitchin, um, I I don't believe that there was a planet that called Nibiru that swooped in every 3,500 years and the Anunnaki came down from this planet every time that it swooped in and um, blah, blah, blah. That part of it, the idea that it's, it's extraterrestrial, I, I don't agree with. But a lot of other things that he laid out um, make a ton of sense. And not only make a ton of sense, but actually end up getting proven often enough. And like you said, Neptune's another one where he knew the color of the planet. I mean, you could say he had a one in seven shot, um, but he was still right. <laughs> you know, I mean, ahead of, of our ability to even see the planet. It's pretty amazing. Hey, y'all, it's Resonance. Um, yeah, from the Let's Make Some Shit podcast. 
uh, here telling you guys about some of the new stuff I've got at Appalachian Apothecary. Right now I have a remineralizing tooth powder that's made with calcium carbonate and bentonite clay. Um, I have a four ounce jars that I'm selling for 10 bucks a piece. And then uh, also I've done a couple of body butters. Um, they're whipped tallow body butters. One's infused with arnica and the other one is a very potent pain reliever. And if you'd like more info on that, you can find me at radical underscore resonance on Telegram or at Mother of Chaos, X-A-O-S on Twitter. Um, I'd be happy to make tinctures for you regarding like any medical condition that you have. So please reach out to me and let's see if we can get you some herbal remedies. Yeah, I mean, that's why I got sucked into Sitchin when I was a mm-hmm. young man for a long time. And, and Ike also and Hancock, but uh, because they were right. And he just, I don't know, man, like I was just a young man and into all this kind of stuff. And you just don't realize like the leaps that they're making in certain areas, you know, like, I don't know. Cause you, it's, um, it's really easy to get sucked into, uh, at least it was for me. I was like, Oh, this is fucking awesome. It's like science fiction, man. It's yeah. so enjoyable, you know? Hell yeah. So you're like, so like, he's right about this. He's right about this. And then like, he's like, yeah. And then a fucking planet comes in and they, these got beings come down and you're like, you're just, you're just along for the ride at that point. You know what I mean? Like, you're just, <laughs> this is fucking awesome. Yes. Um, and it makes way more fucking sense than whatever the history teacher's t- telling you, you know? So, yeah. Um, it's, I under, I got sucked into it hard. And uh, I understand why, though. Like, I understand completely. It's, it's interesting as fuck. It's way more interesting than hit history being taught in a school. And, right. um, it's probably there's probably more truth to what Sitchin was saying than most fucking school textbooks. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, one thing I'll lay out quick, and then you know we can we can go in whatever direction you want. Um, you know, a, a name that people often bring up when they talk about these kinds of you know extraterrestrial or ancient alien ideas is usually Eric von Daniken. Um, and I, and I don't necessarily mean to insult Eric von Daniken, uh, but I think he ended up becoming von Daniken's work. Like when you compare Chariots of the Gods, which is his original text, and his book and Sitchin's uh, The Twelfth Planet, those books came out around the same time. Um, these books are night and day. Like when you read Sitchin, Sitchin's, I mean, it's exciting because it's, it's uh, like you, for all the reasons you laid out second, it's incredibly exciting. But at the same time, it's an incredibly dry text. It's a dry text because he's doing scholarly work there are so many there's so many uh, uh pictures and and i mean when i say pictures i don't mean like uh you know like a coloring book i mean pictures as in he's showing you exactly what he's talking about he's laying all of it out um i mean it, it's so matter of fact and to this day you know most people most people who say eric von daniken they know who you're talking about they know what you're talking about chariots of the gods sitchin isn't so much the household name and I think part of the reason that is, I think that's actually the establishment wanted to promote Eric Von Daniken. Of course, yes, then they tore him down, but they wanted to promote and tear him down because if they promoted Sitchin's work, that teardown job wouldn't have been as easy because Sitchin's work is absolutely scholarly uh, and, and, and goes, you know, it's from the atom up, as I like to say, you know, where you go from the, from the lowest possible point, the atom all the way up to here. Uh, I, I mean, he, re- it's, it's such a phenomenal text. Um, 
and, and and it's a pity that he doesn't really get the credit he deserves. And and Von Daniken seems to be kind of the golden boy. Um, but I think that's totally because the establishment can easily make can easily debunk what and has debunked a lot of what Von Daniken has said as to where was Sitchin. No, it doesn't work that way. You, you've got a lot more work to do to try and tear him down. Um, anyway, what else we got? Oh, just one more thing on the, the sounds and the ancient stuff um, before we, we go on to something else. But they built a lot of the things. So the harmonics were, they had a crazy understanding of acoustics and harmonics. And they built a lot of these ancient buildings in various ways so that the acoustics were a certain way. But I, and this is sound is it's not my my necessarily my wheelhouse, but. I just find it interesting, but, um, and that also they, they, uh, resonate on at like cer certain frequencies and then uh, all kinds of weird things that like they would had to have had like an incredibly vast understanding of like sound to, to be able to do. Um, so I just wanted to bring that last point up is like, they absolutely had a crazy advanced understanding of, of vibration and sound and harmonics and acoustics and that sort of thing. Um, so I don't know what that means or, and again, it goes back to like, why, you know, like mm -hmm. did they just want their church choir to sound really fucking good. You know, like, I don't understand. Well, like, there's not a good reason, like you said, uh, as to why they were doing it so intricately like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I would, I would, I agree with that. And I would argue that I think a lot of original actual stonemasonry knowledge, like genuine stonemasonry, uh, that, you know, you could argue was uh, um, a precursor or an origin to to Freemasonry was around the was was around this knowledge of how to create. In fact, this I think also gets into effectively binaural beats. Like, how do you create an a, a, an acoustic environment that puts the human mind or the body in general really into a certain state that gives it effective powers. Um, I, I really do think that that that's, that's a part of it. Um, so I, I'll just lay that out because again, like the complexity for all this stuff, the, granted it's anybody's guess, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, <laughs> and this idea of somehow, Oh, you just made this beautiful because God's looking down. Nah, I, I, I don't know about that because I, the most pious people I know like to keep things simple. And, and certainly, you know, when you actually, uh, you know, I'm reminded of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when uh, the guy, when they're 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 going for it. spoiler alerts, folks. I mean, the movie's only 40 years old, but spoiler alerts. Um, when when they're when they're choosing the Holy Grail, and the the you know the, the the villain grabs the most beautiful golden cup that he can find there, and he's like, "Oh yes, truly fit for a king." And of course, he he chose poorly. Um, and then Indiana Jones, of course, chooses the simple wooden cup, you know, of a carpenter, and and uh, well, like the, the knight says, you've chosen wisely. Um, that, that really speaks to so much of it. Like if you're actually trying to venerate Jesus Christ, um, you know, all, all the fanciness wouldn't be a part of the program because he wasn't, as far as we know, a fancy guy. Um, so again, it's anybody's guess, but you know, if somebody got in there and did the research on it, I'd be interested to find out what frequencies, what harmonics actually do occur, um, within some of these structures. Um, I just want to add slightly, uh, I don't know if this, I don't know how true some of this is, but uh, there is 
I don't, I don't. I think we can take a look at some of the music. First of all, a lot of this is kind of on the very early end or kind of preceding like the musical notation. So we don't know exactly what they were playing, what scale they were on, you know, what they're tuning. I think there's some controversy over like how they tuned their notes. Oh, is this like four, four, um, three, two? Something like that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And yeah. I don't know how much exactly, but there, there is some controversy. And it's one of those things where we might just not be able to figure that out because there might be just something that cannot be transmitted because they did not have Hertz to, you know, measure this stuff. Um, and there is some controversy over that. So maybe you guys, guys got to explore the possibilities or something like that or theorize. Um, Cause I think that could be a, a part of it too, where we could have some of the same, music uh or some of the what we can reconstruct is some of the same music if it's old enough or indeed some of the same music that came from like you know bach or before bach whatever periods sure. that, that music has emerged and i think if you went back to kind of the, that the original music and tried to reconstruct that maybe you could come up i i would be surprised if there wasn't a connection i think between the harmonics in these structures and in that and i mean when it comes to the, the size of these like giant cathedrals and giant you know other architectural wonders and for example europe at that time like you can understand or any period uh previous period of time i mean to some extent i guess if you have like agricultural surpluses and things are cool you don't have a bunch of wars that are tearing cities and other places down mm -hmm. i can see without the internet that, you know, in a day without the internet, that, that if you might want to do something meaningful with, with all, you know, with a bunch of other people come together and, you know, uh, party or do whatever, you know, you know, celebrate at the end of the day, every day and, 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 and build these structures, build this cathedral, build a temple, build a pyramid, you know, um, a few thousand years ago. And that might be a thing that people honestly did out of, um, you know, pre-capitalist, pre-industrial, pre-internet, and for various different reasons, times, um, as a kind of communal thing. Sure. I mean, it seems to be because, like the the Egyptians, well, did we know what happened with the Egyptians? They had you had your flood season. You you got you harvested your crops. It was very, very, very seasonal. So it was all mm -hmm. this labor sitting around doing nothing, and they all came together and did this thing. And they they weren't slaves. They weren't forced to do it for a large part, from what we understand. And it was just like this communal thing. And I think they probably had a good time doing it as hard as it sounds for us It'd be a lot easier though if you have sonic technology so yeah <laughs> it has a lot, a lot to do with it too but uh yeah it's a different mindset that we don't really kind of um fully understand but i think you know i think people had the time on their hands and something to do but i think also it was a very communal activity too yeah. um for sure yeah sure sure i i, I could see that i mean uh you, you know one of one of the funny things um that i think a lot of people don't realize you know um why, why are churches and like these cathedrals, especially in England, but in all over Europe, you know, why were they always kept so clean and why were they always kept so kept up? Um, the ironic reason is, <laughs> I mean, there's never only one reason, but one of the reasons is it was the safest place to have sex, believe it or not, because most people's houses were dives, they were shit. And so, you know, like the church was the cleanest place in town. So the idea that the community would come together to take care of this communal building, often enough, I think that was completely driven by, well, their sex drive. So <laughs> that's anyway, it's a funny thing. And 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 fortunately, we're we're on the other side of archaeology where we can admit that and that can be uh discussed. But anyway, what 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 else we got? 
Hey, y'all. I got something cool to tell you about. So you know how uh, I'm doing a big initiative to try to get more people to Gorilla Garden? Well, uh, Daggerist over at agoristacres.com, he's kind of teaming up with me a little bit here to help support this uh, cause. So if you use the code Agora10 uh, over at agoristacres.com, you'll get 10% off. Um, for any reason, um, you're buying seeds, whether that be grill gardening or your own garden, anything like that. But if you contact Daggerist uh, or myself and you tell them that I sent you to get seeds for gorilla gardening, he might be able to swing an additional hookup. Um, it might be just whatever he's got, you know, an, a surplus of or that kind of thing, whatever he can do. Um, so he's he's down for the cause here and really wants to help uh, see this come to fruition. Um, so I I am Sekmagora, at Sekmagora on all the, the um, social media. You can contact Dagoras directly on his website, uh, agoristakers.com again. And uh, the code is Agora10 to just get 10% uh, 10% off straight up. And um, tell him I sent you for, for Gorilla Gardening and you'll... Uh, He'll, he'll try to hook you up however he can. And um, this is what we got to do. We got to support people that support us that want to see more of this in the world. Um, so, again, it's agrostakers.com. Check it out um, and get out there and and cause a, cause a ruckus and get some gorilla gardening done. All right, y'all. Peace. Well, do we all want to get crucified? <laughs> I wouldn't be the first Jew. Uh, I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. oh, hey. Too soon, too soon. Yeah, always. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, backstory. I'll give you the guys the backstory because maybe it'll slide down easier. But so, I've been sort of um, dabbling. I've been sort of learning about you know Jewish the history of Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah, et cetera. And um, I was not really too familiar with it. Uh, the, my only knowledge of like Kabbalah comes from like um, uh, the, the Aleister Crowley the, and um, uh, where it touches Hermeticism, but, but that was about it. So I've been sort of doing a bit of a deep dive. And um, it occurs to me that Jewish scholars um, talk uh, often about uh, a sort of a, a Judaism within Judaism. Now, I sent Brian, um, I sent Brian a meme because I actually I had my girl make make me the meme, and uh, it's the bell curve. And so, uh, the lowest IQ, you know, numbskull or whatever, he says there's a Judaism within Judaism, and then it goes up to the midwit. And it's like, no, no, that's anti-Semitic. And then it goes back to the, uh, you know, the high IQ fellow over here. And he says, no, there's a Judaism within Judaism. So there's all sorts of conspiracy theories that kind of go along with this, that it's like a malevolent force within Judaism. And, um, you know, they're taking over the world and blah, blah, blah. And they infiltrated the Masons and et cetera. I've heard this all before, but um, I think that, I mean, you were just talking about this in, a, in the sense of the oral Torah on one of your recent episodes, 
of your podcast. And to me, mm -hmm. that's just that's a secret Judaism. So now the, what makes this interesting or actually maybe less interesting, actually, is this is not this is not unique to Judaism at all. Um, right. This is every religion is this way. Every all of the old mystery traditions are this way. There's a like sort of a public facing um, version of wh whatever their system of belief is. And then there is a, a, a separate system of belief for the initiated in some sense. There's a, uh, there's a Catholicism this way, Rosicrucians. I mean, go down the line, Masons, uh, the old e Egyptian mystery schools, all of these things. It, this all exists. And it's just to, I mean, to me, it almost seems like you're trying to weed out the spam. You know what I mean? Like you're just, <laughs> that's your spam folder. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you're trying to get rid of, you know, you're just trying to weed out. Um, I don't think it's malevolent. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, scholars seem to t talk about this very nonchalantly, like um, um, there being sort of like a, a number of uh, Judaisms or like there's a higher level Judaisms and, or at least there was throughout history. Um, over at least uh, that, that's the way um, Sledge talks about a, a number of things, very like nonchalantly or uh, matter of factly. It's not, I, I guess, where it comes into being like sort of anti Semitic is that this is some sort of like grand conspiracy, right? Mm -hmm. um, are you, is anybody going to back me up here? Or are you just going to leave me out? No, nope. just going to leave me out. <laughs> That's all right. Just a couple more steps on the plank, sec. And <laughs> right, right. You guys you are just in the water, in, inching out of the screen. <laughs> <Just right here>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I what I was saying earlier about like you know, as long as there's a couple other people with you, you're not crazy. <laughs> Suddenly, penguin and I disappeared. Uh, <laughs> no, um, okay. So, well. I guess we could start off at the, the surface level of this, um, this concept of a Judaism within Judaism. Um, first off, you're right. Also, it's not always okay. Uh, all right, let me let me break this down a little bit more. So, you're right. Um, is there a Judaism within Judaism? Yes. Uh, it's important to note that there are that of course it's always Judaisms, not just Judaism. You know, there's there's multiple interpretations of the same concept. That's just as true for Christian. There's different, you know, it's, there's denominations effectively, uh, which uh, most Ab Abrahamic faiths have to deal with. Um, so there are times where that Judaism within Judaism is, uh, I would say, benevolent. And there are times where arguably, and it's arguable, okay, uh, it's arguably malevolent. Now, at a surface level, the reason this idea has such purchase um, and also gets basically shut down very quickly in popular society uh, with the, the anti-Semitic hammer, which sometimes gets very overused, um, is because you have this concept, what's called crypto-Judaism. Now, as much as that sounds like people who believe in Torah and spend Bitcoin, which is really cool. Uh, yeah, like, all right, I'm signed up for that one. Uh, it's not that. Okay. <laughs> um, crypto Judaism uh, means that in the very dictionary etymology, you know, of the word um, in that it, it is a Judaism that had to hide itself. Now, why did that have to hide itself? Because as we've talked about previously and in into the void, the Jews are very much the whipping boy of history. 
And they've very often either A, have had to hide themselves to keep from getting killed, B, forced to convert to something else, or at least confess whether or not they actually converted is another story. Um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, CDE could be all different other kinds of reasons of why you effectively had Jews who had to pretend that they were something else. And this is okay. the very definition of crypto Judaism. Go ahead, Penguin. Yeah, I want to I want to butt in. Um, I mean, I think the Jews do stand out as uh, a people that have existed for a long period of time. They were, you know, stateless. Mm -hmm. They were they were the diaspora. They were spread out, you know, um, and they existed as like a substrate, uh, you know, like a like a not not a not a, not a parasite, but an add on to like every society that they were in for the most part, with some possible exceptions that I'm not really very familiar with. But like they're, you know, and, and, and the reason that is, I think they stand out in history is because they, the, the point is, it's like every other group of people that could have ended up in those same circumstances. I mean, there, there might have been some other groups that existed here, here and there throughout history that wouldn't get, don't, you know, either extend to now or they don't, they're not, not that big or that important to history. But like, they would not just convert to the to to what whatever religion religion they would not just integrate into culture they refused i mean they kept their their culture their their faith culture which it's kind of a combination ethno religious group you know as we always say their faith so in this case and i don't want to subscribe to this you know faith and culture can be very different things but like um they would not assimilate they would always be a separate group they would not you know that you know completely outside the mold of like almost every other group of people which where these things are very fluid i mean they're very willing to convert as a group you know or, or in, as individually and then you know they're now history doesn't even hardly may, may not even know that group existed or they are just some footnote in history because they are completely integrated and mixed in and just as a their historical thought that are just completely integrated into some group of people who might not even live in the same country they lived in. But you know what I mean? There's like, there's so many little dead ends of people who have just become some other group of people if they ended up there or so on. And this group, the Jews would arrive at a place and remain a distinct group with their religion, mm -hmm. which they are just have this strong obligation, which I totally understand as a Muslim, I totally understand as, as a, you know, as a believer, but also as a person who was very familiar with the Jews and the, their origins and their origins with the, the people, the, the ancient Jewish people of the, you know, the, the biblical period and everything that they have this commandment to like be different and stand out, which by the way, a lot of the old Testament rules and, and, and strictures are basically so that they are separate. They will not mix with other people. They are, not just the chosen people in in of the special, but they are distinct. Otherwise, a culture can just mix with another culture, and right. all of a sudden you have something different. Which in history we look at as a, a, a culture, but there are you, you know these things happened all the time that that that, that a smaller group can just become a, a large become a mix of a large group, or you can end up with a hybrid group, and it's totally smoothed out through history. But this one group remains distinct, and purposefully distinct um not exactly in the same way of the of the old testament strictures necessarily but when in when the same um in the same vein in the same basic idea and they do not integrate they do not follow the same rules and they will you know stay and be there as long as they're tolerated but it it's they're certainly standing out standing out as a very distinct group within necessarily like you can think of a lot of places in europe where they would be and they would be immediately noticeable and immediately 
think different and eat different food probably in many cases not i mean throughout history they will peel off and integrate and convert and, and so on and so many jews did and so many jews were in the process of it before you know modern times and jewish identity was you know kind of a you know calcified and people have you know, even today, there are Jews that are basically, you know, completely integrated in society. Maybe they were reformed Jews. Maybe they have some connection with that culture for historical reasons. But like, there are still Jews that all over the world that have a very, very distinct and go out of their way to, to not integrate with larger society and 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 mark their, some, themselves as distinct. And that's not always an easy thing to do. So they're a very unique group of people for that reason. Yeah, no, we're just too fucking weird. Um, so we, <laughs> we, we, we don't, we don't subsume well. Uh, and even when conquered, uh, it just doesn't seem to happen. And I mean, there, I think that there are, you don't even have to have any supernatural reasons to explain why that happens. Um, you know, I know earlier you said not, you, you, you use the word parasite. Um, I, I actually, I don't think that that word has to be negative. I I've always thought of the Jews as being, uh, like remoras to the shark of civilization. And the thing is, remoras are what actually keep the sharks healthy and clean. But, um, but that which actually speaks to part of the reason I think that that, you know, how come there are still Jews today? And, and a big part of that, I think, comes down to that uh, the Jews historically have washed their hands when that wasn't considered uh, common practice. And it really is that simple. You know, why did Jews get blamed for the Black Plague? Uh, because they weren't dying. Why didn't they die? It's not because they're the spawn of Satan. I mean, maybe they are, but it's not because they're the spawn of Satan. It's because they washed their fucking hands. I mean, oh, wow. What a, you know, what, what a nefarious thing. I mean, they, they, they invented hygiene shit. You know, let, let's string them up. It, it's, it's really insane. Um, so, you know, yeah, you, you raise a great point um, on all of that. And the thing is, is that there have been times where in certain and many times, particularly in Europe, where, you know, I mean, under most Muslim regimes, the Jews didn't have to change anything and were actually treated with a tremendous amount of respect, just called the people of the book, and they were allowed to go on to their merry way. Um, in fact, Islam has been the harbor for a lot of freedom in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years, particularly even for Christians who, oh, they didn't want to follow the Catholic way of things. They they would run off to the Middle East. They'd become Moorish pirates or whatever else, and they could live their, their free life. Um, so, you know, myself, as a Jew, I'm grateful that Islam has been there as a bastion of power to run to. Um, you know, yeah, to I mean, be, you are, you are a second. I just I was going to add in, like, yeah, I mean, yes, it's not total freedom necessarily i mean you are in in some ways a a, a second class citizen in a yeah. sense but it's poly it's polycentric so you it's laid out you know what the rules are the rules were set at the time of Papa peace and blessings upon him so you know what the rules are and it, it is it's meant to offer them a tremendous amount of respect as like subjugated people and of course that's not to be you know that that is that's certainly true but uh you know in this argument about you know the marginal tax rate like yeah they tax them they tax them less than anyone other current civilizations blah 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 but like in reality the practice was you had a lot more freedom because yeah. you got a you got a, a a christianity that's not saying oh we're gonna we have rules we have a strict set of rules we have to follow when de when dealing with jews they have they have an inquisition so it's a, right. it's, it's, it's a huge difference between the two yeah. And, and what actually makes it even, you're, you're totally right. And what makes it even worse, because you're right about this idea of, you know, you're still kind of a second class citizen, but at least it was open and honest as to where under Catholicism and under a lot of Christian regimes, 
yeah, sure, some Jews were allowed to continue to be Jews, but they were only allowed to continue to be Jews because that way they could do all the dirty work for whoever was in power, be it the church, whatever, and say, do loans and collect usury on it. But mm -hmm. the problem with that is it's like, oh, so you were allowed to continue to practice. Yeah. As long as you were useful, but as soon as you weren't useful anymore, buddy, you're done and you're getting any put day. in the public square any day. It's where, you know, it, under uh, Muslim regimes, it was more, it was open and it was honest, you know, as to where it wasn't like, okay, I'm allowed to exist as long as I'm useful. No, it's you're allowed to exist because you're still a child of God. Um, even though you might be considered on a, on a slightly different tier, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it was certainly a better deal than what we were getting under the church. Um, and so whenever those times would come, you know, where the church did suddenly say, well, Jews being Jews aren't useful anymore. This happened often in Spain. Um, then there would be forced conversions. And would there be people who would say, okay, sure, I profess Jesus is the Christ, but would continue secretly to practice Torah and read the Talmud? Yes, of course there were. Of course there were. And why wouldn't they? Like, you know, we were talking earlier about why would they build these complex buildings? You know, we don't, we don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Well, this isn't a situation where it doesn't make sense. Of course we know why they would do this. You know, so this, and, and would they perhaps even usurp and subvert within the, you know, within the, the power structure that existed in Christian Europe at the time uh, to allow for more freedom of expression and religion and for, you know, their people to, to, you know, depending upon the denomination, hopefully get to the point where they could build the third temple again or build the third temple, uh, you know, at some point. Well, sure. Again, no, nobody would think that that's insane. So that's why I bring up crypto Judaism as saying now it gets labeled sometimes as being nefarious. And there are groups that we could talk about where maybe it was. But on the other side of it, no, it's what many people would do. And it's not even cowardly. You know, it's just it's the way to make sure that this tradition that for Jews is tantamount to the survival of the universe, as well as everyone within it, uh, for them to continue that. And, it, and, it, and it's really key. Um, so, Sek, what do you got? Well, two things. So, like, okay, so why, number one, why are Jews singled out? As we discussed, there's been very similar, like, um, you know, having to hide your faith in various reasons or having to hide the the, the, the higher levels of your faith, uh, this or your beliefs or whatever thing like this is not unique to Jews. So why are Jews singled out as like this must be nefarious, number one. But number two, like certain people hearing the conversation, even just the conversation that we're having would call us anti-Semitic. Um, for even suggesting that there is a, a Judaism with a Judaism. But if I were to say the same thing about the Catholics or the Masons, it's no big deal. So, like, right. why is this, why are the Jews singled out in the, in both senses? Well, the two different, for the two different reasons I just said, like, why are they, is it just anti-Semitism? And don't worry, I'm going to call them satanic in a minute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but is it just anti-Semitism? Is like, is that all there is to it? And and then also, why is this like such an uncomfortable conversation to talk about? Do you know what I mean? Like, you think in some sense it should be like kind of celebrated. Like there, there's like yeah, there's the boring Judaism, but then there's this really cool shit. Once you get to level fifty or whatever the thing, you know, and like <laughs> you know, right. you think it'd be like kind of celebrated. Like there's this whole other thing. Like once you like 
you know, you, you do all the stuff that you have to do and you get through all the, the boring stuff. There's a whole bunch of other cool stuff. And, yeah. you know, that's how the Masons kind of have operated for centuries as well, you know? So, like, I don't understand why it's assumed to be malevolent. Well, so I think I think you have a, a, a few things at play. One is the reason it's uncomfortable to talk about is, of course, because of the Holocaust. So now everybody's, you know, kind of uh, walking on eggshells uh, because... You know, you can so easily be labeled a, you know, whatever, a, you know, neo-Nazi or something. Okay. Um, so that, that part I, I think is, you know, more, more on the obvious end, there might be other parts to it, but, but that's one. Okay. Fair point. Yeah. Um, yeah. as far as, you know, why do they keep getting looked at? Because certainly the Jews were persecuted long before, uh, Hitler. And it, in fact, before Hitler, it wasn't even a problem or it seems, um, for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, I think a part of it is, a part of it is the fact that the Jews have continued on where so many other civilizations have not. And so that leads one, I think it leads a lot of people to think like, wait a minute, how the hell are they still here? This doesn't make sense. They must be the ones pulling all the strings. That's how they're still here. You know, I think that's what goes through a lot of people's minds. Um, but another part of it is that Judaism is incredibly insular in that for most of Jewish history, it didn't try to convert people. And today it doesn't try to convert people. Um, I think that kind of bothers people because that, that does, even though that, even though that's a part of, shall we say the, the faith or the culture within Judaism um, for a lot of people, I just, I think they see that as very strange and elitist. And so that leads to another problem because there is this inherent, uh, uh, and and it really is in there. Like it really is a part of the sacred text within Judaism. There is an elitism um, that, you know, at face value, you know, really you, you can't escape. Um, the other part of it is, and I think this has been true since the time of the Greeks and, and, and even to today is most religions up until uh, say you know, maybe like, like Islam or even Christianity and so on, um, which, you know, you could argue are continuations of, of the, the tradition of Abraham. Most other religions around the world have very, like, for example, if you, I don't know, if you went up to an ancient Roman, you know, you could actually point at where their God is. And theoretically, you could hold their God hostage, theoretically, right? Like you could point at it. And I think one of the big problems throughout history with the Jews is that their God is a hidden God. Their God's an unseen God. And so you can't, you know, when, when, when you ask a Jew, where's your God? And, and the Jew says, well, it's everywhere. Uh, that bothers people. And so it bothers people because it's weird. And it bothers people because, oh, you don't have a choke point. You don't have an, a, a, a way that I can control you because your God's just everywhere. You know, and I think a lot of people miss this because we have a Western concept of God because of Christianity and some others um, that that doesn't meld with how gods are thought of throughout much of the world. And, and certainly historically where gods were something either even that you like had something in your house representative of or whatever. But this idea of, you know, no graven images and all that, that that's a very alien notion to 90 percent of the planet throughout history. Um, and, and I think that's, that always bothers people because it feels like they can't actually attack at the very heart of your existence, which would be your faith. Um, so that, that, that's a part of it uh, as well. Um, 
what else do we have on that as, as far as Judaism within Judaism? I mean, we, we can get into more stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of it does have to do with, like the, you said, the sense of uh, superiority and, and or elitism, whatever. I guess, you know, superiority as a people. And that is the reason that they, they you know, you have to look at things from a, a temporal perspective. That's the reason they're still here. You know, there's no reason for them to have not, mm -hmm. uh, over time, just kind of eroded into like the various cult places and cultures of the places they were. And like I said, some did, of course. But mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, that's it's it's really is truly distinct. Like there's no other really group of people that have gone to so many places and existed and and still exist to this day as like a separate separate group of people, um, sort of in a in a in a odd turn of events in the past like century. But like to even get to this point is from where from the point in time when they started is pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty pretty unprecedented. I mean, they're pretty unprecedented, they're pretty much a unique group to have done that. So, and it has to definitely come from the idea that they are like a special people and a, a stronger sense of that than others. And I mean, now it makes sense. I mean, nationalism itself doesn't even come till like, you know, circa 1800, give or take, depending right. on what exact form. I mean, this is like not that. This is not nationalism. This is something entirely different. And it's something that they've, they've held to for literally thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, I mean, and, and I think, this is one of the reasons I don't, one of the many reasons I don't agree with the state of Israel, because that ultimately some of the resiliency that, that, that Jews have disappears when they have a land, in my opinion, because when you have no land, you have no, no government, no Lords, you know, and all you are is just a people and a culture. You're, you're basically an idea and you just, you can't kill ideas. And that's why everyone else falls because they identify themselves with, I mean, everyone else it feels like not everyone else. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't, you know, I'm not going to go rah, rah here, but so many other, uh, uh, peoples, nations are real estate agents effectively. And, you know, you, you can conquer a land, you know? So if your identity is based around a land, I mean, you've got a weakness there as to where what's amazing, you know, with, with Jews is, for the past 2000 years, they haven't really had one. And that, and I think that's a good thing. You know, the fact that they are, like I said, they're, they're remoras to the sharks of civilization. That's a good thing. Um, and that's what can allow you to survive because you identify from your ideas, from your books, not from some specific geography uh, or, you know, or that, that your God has to be in Athens or your God has to be wherever. Um, there, there's a real strength, resiliency, and power in that. Um, that I think Jews lose uh, when they start to identify with uh, a specific uh, a piece of real estate like the nation of Israel. All right. So here's, let's get canceled. Yeah, let's do um, it. So <sighs> again, back to, um, I've been listening to that series by Sledge on uh, Kabbalah. I'm, I'm actually listening to it again. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I asked you the question, um, cause it seems that uh, Kabbalah is, uh, is a, one of the Judaisms within Judaism. And I, would you agree? Yep. Okay. So it seems to, um, describe God as a changing process, which mm -hmm. was that those for that phrase was mentioned several times in the series. 
And then that Kabbalah could make you uh, the Messiah um, or a, a Messiah consciousness or something along those lines. A God-like through yep. a series of, uh, of, of uh, various systems and whatever. So um, I think the secret Judaism actually is satanic. Now, here's what I mean. <laughs> I don't mean this is a bad thing either. So, like, um, there's several ways that people use the word satanic. One, you literally worship the Satan, uh, or they mean evil, right? That's not what I mean. Or you're the a spicy atheist and read a lot of Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand. Um, such as like the LeVay Church of Satan, whatever the thing. Um, that was me as a young teenager, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> there's that. Then there's the other way that Christians often use it in the sense that you were attempting to dethrone God, become God, uh, play God. Um, what's the other word? Uh, some other you know, to, to go against the, the sort of the natural order, God's will, or. Sure. I will God. be like the most high. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. To, to, to unseat God. And that's the, actually, that's the, 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 the sense I'm using that term mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is um, I think it's, they actually are. Cause that's what, how they are describing God and the universe and their abilities uh, to become the most high <laughs> is very much fits into that, uh, that third definition of, of satanic. Um, so the, the problem being is they're, they're right for the wrong reasons. <laughs> they're right, but it's not, I don't see it as malevolent at all. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see anything wrong with it. And I don't, I also don't necessarily think it's um I mean, we can go to a whole nother conversation about like the origins of Satan and Lucifer and the snake and all that kind of stuff too. But um, I don't think it's uh, an evil or um, uh, what was the word I used? It's not malevolent. It's not malevolent. Yes. It's not. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it is, but you could, in some sense, there is some there, there, I guess. Um in the, in the in the way that certain Christians use that term, that they're technically correct, right? Yeah. Okay, so, you agree? Okay. Well, we're all what, getting fucking strung up now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, well, here's the thing. I mean, people people don't like secrets, um, and 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 I get. That. Well, actually, it's a paradoxical thing. People very much like secrets. They like being in the know. They just don't like not being in the know. So they like secrets if they're in on it. They don't like secrets if they're not. Okay. And with that in mind, um, when you find out that there are all these secret aspects to Judaism, professly, openly, that these exist, and they do. And Kabbalah is one of those, even though there have been varying opinions on that. I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, this is the same thing that happens to Freemasonry. Like, why are people, why do people always blame Freemasonry, even though, you know, kind of common sense, uh, um, uh, 
yeah, just applying common sense to some of these conspiracy theories would show no, the three the Freemasons free or the Freemasons can't be behind this. Um, but people freak out about Freemasonry because it has all of these secrets that you're not supposed to know. I mean, the thing is, newsflash today, you can go online on YouTube and you can figure out most of those secrets, all the handshakes, all the signals, all the crap. I mean, it, it, it's there. And really, there have always been books out there um, that 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 give you lay out the whole deal about free about Freemasonry. Um, Freemasonry was only secret and useful in taking down King George uh, or, or getting him out of America anyway. Um, and maybe some stuff that happened in Italy as well, you know, in, in, in gangster fashion. Um, but, you know, inherently, there's really not that much secret about Freemasonry, at least not anymore. Anyway, um, so within Judaism, yeah, there are countless times within whatever venerated text you want to pull out where it's saying, okay, there are things that we don't write down, that we pass down one-to-one, -one, master to apprentice, kind of sounds like the Sith out of Star Wars, right? The rule of two, there's only two there are, master and apprentice, and this knowledge is only getting passed down that way. Um, and this bothers people, and it leads people into thinking, and, and it gets worse because also, um, or, or well, that, that's at a very superficial level, because the reason that a lot of this knowledge doesn't get expressed openly if you were to believe the rabbis or the sages as to why that doesn't happen, it's because it's just too dangerous for everybody to have access to this information. Okay. Um, it's akin to saying, you know, and here, if we really want to get canceled, it's akin to saying like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't tell everybody how to build a nuclear bomb because then we might not have a planet anymore. Right. And th that, that's, you know, sort of the logic that, that these sages were, were running off of thousands of years ago. Um, as to why they they wouldn't pass this down. Um, now, the oral Torah, and I know I talked about this in a recent Patreon Q&A, like we mentioned uh, at the top of this episode, um, the oral Torah was never written down. It was supposed to be, you know, passed down through the priestly lineage, through, through the Levites, you know, throughout history. But then it got to a point where Jewish existence was so threatened uh, by the Romans that you know, the sages at the time, the Sanhedrin at the time basically said, we got to start writing this stuff down or we might lose it forever. Um, and so that that's, that's kind of the thing is, or one thing standing in the idea that, okay, this isn't necessarily nefarious. It's that, look, if we realize that we could lose all of this, we're going to make it public because this knowledge has to stay because without it, we'll just, we'll be in an eternal hell on earth effectively. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of complexities around that, but but that's the idea. Now, the thing is that even in the oral Torah, which is collected in the Mishnah, even in the Mishnah, the Mishnah says there are still things we can't talk about that we that you cannot write down. It doesn't matter how, how dangerous this is. We cannot write this shit down. And the hope was, when you read some of the sages, particularly in the Talmud and other places, was that even if we don't write these things down, people could still figure it out later on, as long as we give them just enough information. Okay. Um, and that speaks to a broader point, but effectively the three things, uh, again, that, that the Mishnah says we couldn't write down, there were sexual practices that were not allowed to be written down. There were aspects of the account of creation and there were aspects of the account of the chariot. Now the account of the chariot is where mysticism slash Kabbalah, you know, really comes in. So these things were not allowed to be written down whatsoever. Um, and when you find out about that, and you don't know what those things are, whether you're Jew or not. You're like, wait a minute, what, what are these secrets? I want to know. Why can't I know? If I can't know, it must be nefarious because you think that or because something bad is going on behind my back because there's this assumption that people are inherently evil 
or something along those lines. Okay. Um, so, but that knowledge did get passed down. It's not that knowledge didn't disappear and it got passed down to, you know, within Judaism, what they would consider to be the right people, whoever that happens to be, whatever rabbi or sages uh, that it was necessary for it to get passed down. Um, eventually, though, this, even that information, arguably within Judaism today, it would be argued that it's not, it's not hidden anymore. It's in the Zohar, which is another collection of books and, and is kind of the primary text of Kabbalah. Um, so today we could sort of say that, no, there's, there's no more hidden information. It's all out there. As long as you know Hebrew or Aramaic, you can go read it. And even a lot of it has been translated in English and you can read it there. And, you know, there's no more of these secrets. Um, I mean, what you effectively ran into in, say, the 15th century and so on was, uh, you know, you had, which we've talked about on Into the Void in the past, you had the, basically the Holocaust that was occurring against Jews in Spain. Um, and when that started to occur, you had the Kabbalists of their day say, okay, look, I know we've been keeping Kabbalah to ourselves, but this is so important. We need to bring the Messianic age on right now. So we're going to start teaching everybody Kabbalah. And so that, that that's the part that people miss is that there have been multiple occasions within Judaism over the past 2000 years where the greatest minds in Judaism did come out and say, no, we're not going to keep the secret anymore. We're going to tell everybody about it. So this idea that you know, is there a Judaism within Judaism? Absolutely there is. It, and 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 it, again, it's not a bad thing. It, it, it's a part of the program, you know, for varying reasons. Again, they didn't want to hand over all the nukes or whatever, you know, whatever your logical argument may be. It's always been there. Um, and there have been times where, again, where the Jews have said, okay, no, we can't keep the secret anymore. We need to, you know, just to, to survive or to bring on, you know, the paradise that we want, we've got to start letting it out. We got to start getting it out there. What do you got, Zach? Do you think that all of the information is actually out there? Or do you think there's no. more? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I kind of had a funny feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can say this. I, I can say this with, with firsthand knowledge that uh no the zohar is not everything that the mishnah was talking about um yeah, yeah. there are plenty of 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 sexual practices accounts of creation and accounts of the of the chariot uh that have never been written down uh-huh um so look okay so i i don't think that this is bad or evil mm -hmm. and i and i i even said this to you when we were talking about this in a, in a message i'm like i don't think this is bad or evil or, and I, I understand the the logic and the argument behind it. Mm -hmm. I just prefer it another way. I'm more like the guys that wrote, wrote down the solar. No, we just, just put all the information out there. And whatever happens will happen. And I think we, in the end, we'll be better off with all the information. This is why I don't, I'm not a giant fan of Aleister Crowley. I've, mm -hmm. I've had a back and forth relationship and feelings about Aleister Crowley at various points in my life. But the one thing I did like is he left the golden dawn and he literally yep. just started putting information out there. Just here, anybody that wants this, here you go. Yeah. And he, he developed his own, you know, system of, of, uh, of magic and that, and, and what have you, and of, of spirituality. And, but, Basically, his thing was kind of like Martin Luther in the sense that, no, everybody needs to be able, this needs to be democratized. And right. that's kind of where I sit with 
all spiritual practices, all information, everything. I would, I think everyone should have access to it. I don't like gatekeeping at all. Yeah. Uh, but, and I don't think it'd be like nukes, everybody getting their hand. Everybody can get their hands on nukes right now. Yeah. You just wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, the ability and the science to make nukes. You might yes. have the feds show up at your house, but it's on the internet. <laughs> right. But you would, you would have to like, literally sit down and learn physics to be able to do it um but it's on the internet why is mm -hmm. nobody making nukes well partially probably because the feds will show up but also you got to learn fucking physics yes you know so if you just put the information out there it's going to sort of self-select to people who just aren't into it and don't have the willpower to sit down and fucking read all this you know what i mean so uh i think that's the better way to go yeah um i might push back on that a little bit just to have fun. Uh, <laughs> um, I agree. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm such a proponent of open source in everything, you know, like have it all out there, have the knowledge out there, blah, blah, blah. Um, at the same time, of course, I'm also a heavy proponent of privacy. Um, but of course, I think the best way to have privacy is to open source everything. So you know exactly how to really achieve privacy. Um, the, I think that the, all right. So here, here's part of the problem. Let, let's say, for example, with Kabbalah, let's say with this Judaism within Judaism. Okay. And I might give people a couple books at the end of this to go check out uh, if they want to read, you know, a, a, about this, this, this concept of Judaism within Judaism with a very respectful uh, uh, bent on it. Um, but Kabbalah is more than what can be written down. Um, I would argue that any viable spirituality, any spirituality that has any, any like real uh, uh, benefit, you know, to the individual within it is something that is more than could possibly ever be written down. And so to some degree, you, you can't entirely open source, uh, say, for example, Kabbalah, though, though. There's other schools as well that I think hold like Sufi Sufism and, and somebody like there's a lot of the, a lot of these other schools, I think, um, have, have, you know, validity and are just another path, uh, on the same mountain. Okay. Um, but with Kabbalah, like the, when the system was set up that it was only allowed to be taught really again by, you know, to use the George Lucasism by a rule of two, where there was a master and apprentice there, there, I think there was a very good reason for that. Um, in that it's such a intimate and personal practice. And to, to kind of prove my point, you know, just so I'm not like just making things up um, again, one of the, one of the three things that the mission has said that they couldn't write down were some of the sexual practices. Well, that's, that's a key part of Kabbalah. Uh, even though a lot of people who would profess to be Kabbalists like Hasidim and some others today uh, probably don't give a shit about that. But anyway, um, it's a very intimate thing. And in that, it doesn't lend itself to being taught to the masses. Okay. Um, that doesn't mean you should exclude anybody, but it's also something that by its very nature cannot be really, I don't think can be efficaciously taught to everybody. I mean, I think, I think there's a level at which it can be taught to everybody. And this is something I've wrestled with in my own work in that like I'm telling people about Kabbalah, they're asking me about it. I also think that it's something that's genuinely viable for achieving freedom in your life, uh, which is part of the reason that I, that I espouse it. Um, 
but also, you know, technology does admittedly, you know, kind of, kind of, to, to sort of disprove myself in some way, technology does democratize the ability to garner knowledge and to spread knowledge because, you know, a, a podcast is a one-way street usually, right? Like it, it's, it's my voice going out to however many people, you know, happen to listen to it. It's usually not interactive, uh, or at least not with me. And so in that sense, it is kind of a very personal thing. It is almost, you know, even though it's, it's not one-on-one, -on -one, it's like one on a hundred, but in the same way, it's really one-on-one -on -one because, you know, but, but then because it's a one-way street also, it still runs in the same problem that I'm discussing in that, you know, I can't immediately get feedback from the student, say, not to say that I'm a teacher, but you, you, I, I think you get my point. Um, so ultimately what I'm saying is like, it's, I don't think that, that someone should be denied access to it. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that when you get, especially the, the further you get into it, you know, when you become a level 80 paladin or something, um, <laughs> you know, like that, that's not, that's not something that can be mass distributed. And it's also, it's really, it, it absolutely is something that cannot be written down. It's not something that can be made so readily available. My other point that I want to break in on that is, you know, I see Kabbalah, like I consider anarchism in, and I'm not the only uh, um, Jewish scholar, I guess I'll say, I'm not the only Jewish scholar uh, that would suggest this. Um. Kabbalah, anarchism is an, is an inherent aspect of Kabbalah. And in the same vein, like with anarchism, which, you know, we're big on that and we're trying to make that a thing. I never expect, and you guys can correct me on this if you feel differently, and it's fine if you do. I, there's plenty of people I respect who feel differently about this. Um, I don't think anarchism is something for the masses. I think anarchism itself is if you wanted to coin a term, you know, could almost be seen as elitist because I think it takes a very special person to be able to be responsible for themselves and their own actions. Most people, I mean, can most people achieve that? Maybe, but like people who have already been around 50, 60 years, I don't know. Yeah. You can teach an old dog new tricks. You really can. But at the same time, I don't know. I, so I, you know, myself, I don't see anarchism as something like the world, in my opinion, the entire planet earth is never going to be some kind of anarchist paradise. I just, I don't believe it. Um, and I, I, I see no evidence for that. And most of actually other, uh, like, like Gustav Landauer, other Kabbalist anarchists, uh, from even a hundred years ago, you know, would say that, that, you know, anarchism isn't for everybody. Um, you know, it's only for those that, you know, that, that, that can take it effectively. Um, what do you got, Sec? So I, I strongly disagree. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. Go for it. So I don't think the entire, we're weirdos and nerds, right? Yep. Like the entire world, it takes a certain kind of person to like be into philosophy and political yep. theory and fucking weird stuff our obscure spiritual practices and stuff like that's a certain kind of fucking weirdo yeah no so you're right the entire world is never going to be philosophically anarchist mm -hmm. um never going to happen it's just never going to happen people are uninterested mm -hmm. however i do think that what makes you think that current currently in our current society that that the world will never be people will never be anarchists is that Okay, so people 
act in their own. Every you know, we use the term egoist mm-hmm. because we're both fans of Sterner, but everyone's an egoist. Sterner, I mean, mm-hmm. Sterner's just describing what is. He wasn't laying out some kind of philosophy or something. Right. He's just describing what is. Everyone's an egoist. Everyone's ask, acting in their own self-interest. Yes. Based upon basically, uh, you know, incentives. They're just coming up with sort of various narratives and justifications for why they're doing these things. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing now is just people acting on uh, acting in their own self-interest uh, based upon incentives. But if the incentives were different and they could, um, you know, see these system or lack of systems work better for them in their, you know, their bread and butter stuff, the day to day, you know, not some philosophical utopia or something like that, but just like, these, you know, and, and I think a, a stateless society would work better for most people, um, except for those who <laughs> crave power. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just think that, you know, there's the old very elitist trope that like, you know, 10% of people move society and, mm-hmm. you know, 10% fight against it. And the other 80% just kind of go along for the ride. Yep. And that sounds like a dick thing to say, but and, and but there probably is some truth to that. I think just most people are uninterested. They just want to go about. I don't mean this in like a mean way. They just want to mm-hmm. go about their fucking lives. They don't care about your high-minded philosophy right. or whatever that right. shit. They're they're trying to go play fucking ball with their kids and you know grill some fucking whatever at the end of the day and just you know have a good time. That's the what they're you know they live their life. That's what they're trying to do. They're not worried about your fucking nonsense. You know so. Yeah, I understand. And I think that's most people. But I think that if like the situation was different, I think people would just sort of like, yeah, no, that's that sounds good. Like uh, they would just choose it merely out of self-interest. And I'm not saying like there would be like some grand anarchist movement or utopia or society or whatever. But like um, certain things about that stateless society would benefit these people and they would just slowly like yeah that's that sounds good or whatever like um you know like uh various like like a new technology that people find that works or whatever the thing like Mm -hmm. they just Mm -hmm. go over to it they don't go over to this new technology because they fucking believe in it it just it works better for them than the old thing so i i i can see it happening that's the way i would see anarchism coming about is not some sort of like grand shift in everybody everyone becoming some sort of philosophical anarchist just that we start building these places in the cracks and yeah. like slowly people trickle over and see you so like we i just called us all nerds right yep okay so when we me and you were kids brian like nerds got pushed in the fucking lockers now everybody's you you've made this fucking point before now everybody's into the shit yep you know what i'm saying in yeah. the span of like 20 years. Yeah. So like, you know, it could be that, um, you know, 50, 100 years from now, I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime or our children's lifetime or anything like that. But people just slowly shift over or it becomes like more acceptable or more people are into it or, um, you know, we're, we're just doing cool shit over here. Mm-hmm. So people just sort of slowly gravitate to the cool shit we're doing over here. You know what I mean? Not because they read fucking Sterner or uh, who cares? Rothbard, Conkin, Kropotkin, pick your poison. 
It's not because they read any of that shit. They just saw like, wow, that's some cool shit going over there. We're going to go over there. And that's, yeah, all, I, that's all there is. I mean, I, I, that's all there is to it, really. Yeah, I just, I, I think that those groups are always going to be small, like th- that are over here just doing the cool shit. Those, those kind of groups I think can, can thrive, but it's just, it's always going to have to be small. There's, I, I hear you. I, I get what you're saying and, and how there are like sea changes. Um, part of the pro, you know, in fact, uh, <laughs> you know, at some point we got to do that episode about the history of libertarianism, uh, and as the recent history, you know, which I, I think is really interesting. Um, because one, one of the yes. major, one of the, yeah, one of the major reasons that I think libertarianism kind of died around 2015, 2016, a lot of people want to point at, well, they all became Trump supporters. There's some truth to that, but I think another big part of it is, is that marijuana suddenly got legalized in many, many, many parts of the United States. And yeah, I'll, I'll piss some people, you know, if we're going to get crucified, let's, let's go all the way, you know, give me another nail here. Uh, I, I think, I think we, yeah, <laughs> well, I just gonna say. I think most libertarians were just potheads that, you know, as soon as, as soon as it got legalized, they didn't give a shit anymore. Their war was won and they're done, you know? And in one sense, that's fine. I don't care. People can do whatever the fuck they want and think however the fuck they want. Like, I I really don't care. But in the other sense, um, that kind of speaks to the point, like, no, no, just, just give me, hit my pleasure button and I'll be fine. You know? And, And, and that, that's, that's part of that for me that speaks to this overall issue in that there are a lot of people um who again c- couldn't handle this life you know who 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 really you know th- like there are just very simple things that they're going after and as long as they get that they're fine now could the overarching structure be anarchistic that would allow for that i suppose but i i've seen far too many cases within the libertarian movement where, you know, I mean, like, okay, so, so part of the reason why, why does politics fail? You know, like, why does democracy fail? Is it because it's, you know, two wolves and a sheep? Sure. You know, on a logical level, that's what it's about. At the same time, I think what it's also about is it is a system that works well for sociopaths. The reason why money is a popular thing isn't because it's a great system for a medium of exchange. I mean, you could argue that it is, but it's because it allows sociopaths to have value that they don't have internally, right? Like uh, I love the old Benjamin Franklin saying, the only people afraid of a world without money are scoundrels because then they have, the only value they have is what's within themselves and they don't have any. And so I, I've seen it far too often where, oh yeah, we're going to practice our our little, you know, in New Hampshire, in Michigan and wherever, we're going to practice our little, little anarchist society or something. And all it takes is one fucking sociopath to come in. And, you know, starts doing something, I mean, all kinds of nasty stuff, be it, you know, uh, 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 sexual impropriety. And I don't mean, you know, butt fucking, I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, non-consensual stuff um, because butt fucking is fine. Um, <laughs> um, you know, who, who just comes in and eliminates the entire system of trust that's had within, you know, uh, whatever size the group happens to be. Uh, so if you, if you have, if you don't have some kind of, and I don't mean ostracism, I'm, I'm not a proponent of ostracism, but if you don't have some kind of, well, to use the term, like you used earlier, I mean, on, I, gatekeeping is a loaded term, but I'll, I'll rock with it. If you don't have some kind of gatekeeping, 
um, there's always going to be somebody that, that comes in and, and just wrecks the shit. Uh, and, and it, and it happens in every system that humanity's ever devised. Um, so again, you know, I love the old Kim Stanley Robinson quote of, you know, you can't get five people together without one idiot. And I think that's certainly true. And I'm not saying it's because people are necessarily unintelligent. Um, but I always feel like any, anything like that, when it gets big enough, the people that can take advantage of that are going to come in and, and that's, that's part of why, I mean, so, so you have two things, one, and, and then that person, you know, how do they end up staying in power? Well, they, they stay in whatever that power happens to look like by appeasing the masses with whatever opiate they want. And that could be religion. It doesn't have to be drugs. Um, so I guess ultimately what I'm saying is that this is, well, I'm, I'm just, just resetting my point on the, on the idea that I, I just don't think anarchism will ever be for anyone or for everyone. And I, I don't even think that if the, I don't think that an anarchist setup could even become worldwide and still like appease everybody for what they want, because so, someone's someone's going to move in, you know, and, and anyway, what do you got, Penguin? Um, no, no, I, I'm really glad. I'm actually glad, really glad the conversation went to where it goes. I don't have much to add to that. I think mm -hmm. that's a great explanation um because i'm not really look i'm not really into the the, the mysticism uh, esotericism aspect but this what you're talking about now like mm -hmm. uh yeah i mean i think that you know if you ever have more freedom or a breakdown of structures or, or a breakdown of you know imperial states centralized states you know uh some level of political decentralization varying levels probably of political decentralization um and to say that the anarchism is can ultimately can be considered like an absolutist opinion, but it can also be like you can have different opinions on, on, on different things. And and mm -hmm. anarchy can also be described as I mean, it can be described as chaos and violence and whatever, but it, it can also be described as like when 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 systems and in, in societies are anarchistic in the sense that there is a, a spectrum that, that what's when when things are anarchistic more or less anarchistic when they um you know when they display less top down and more kind of spontaneous you know you know order more you know person to person interaction and you know stuff like that uh less coercion and so on and so forth um and there's i think a wide spectrum on that that obviously even when you have sort of a um absolutist ideal that mm -hmm. most anarchists will probably will say is kind of the key key to the whole thing um and I think you can have like a, a what I call like a, a, a mechanical. I'm not sure exactly what I usually call it because it's it's kind of a term I'm, I've, I've been kind of thinking on like a mechanical liberty or kind of a, a, a me well a mechanical anarchism because we're, we're talking about the the anarchism as in is or the anarchy that's described in like for example um IR theory like that you have an anarchy because there isn't a higher force. This, this, this got or, or the whatever higher force or higher forces there are, don't have the capacity, you know, to necessarily that what, what's called state capacity, you know, um, they don't have necessarily the capacity to impose top down, and that can, but you know, in the sense that that could exist to various degrees, without saying there will be no state. Well, there, there is not going to be. We have there will be absolute equality throughout the world. There will be absolutely no hierarchies. There will be absolutely no race. 
absolutely no racism, excuse me. There will be no, um, it's not, there, will be, there will be no state and there will be no state that forms and there will be forever, you know, whatever, and by whatever definition of state that you kind of will use in, obviously there's not that. So obviously there is actually a spectrum of a level of decentralization, a level of lack of state structures and, and capacity for rulership and stuff like that. Um, in practice, if you want to if you want to measure it by that and not by this kind of absolute, then I think obviously you can see that and you can see these the kind of ideas that kind of anarchists kind of deal with, like people that are actually philosophically or politically anarchists, as being useful, as being mm -hmm. useful for for that kind of situation. Um, just exploring these topics and exploring that, that kind of lifestyle, um, and is kind of a lot of diversity there too. But it can be useful for the situation where it's mechanistically like just not. You know, I don't know what the word exactly should be, but I, I kind of use like mechanical and mechanistic. Like there is not those, there are not those structures. There is a level of decentralization. It's not a stateless, not necessarily absolute statelessness. It's not a black and white, but there aren't those structures that exist. And I think, again, a good way to look at that is the anarchy of like IR theory, where, you know, basically states are the highest level essentially of like legitimate authority. I mean, they're, they're supernational entities and I like, Likewise, they don't actually have the authority that they don't they're not actually on a higher level of authority in, in, in reality. The nation state is technically the at the you know, the, the state is at the highest level of authority. And so they interact in a certain way based on that versus the way people will interact necessarily in the government and so forth. I think, you know, like I said, so these ideas the, that rightfully so. They're not going. To, it's not going to be an idea that's spread throughout the entire population. This is going to. This is going to be a situation that people live in and exist in, to some degree or another. If and when it, you know, if and when and where it occurs, it's not going to be a philosophy where, as you point out, most people are not even adopting a philosophy, or certainly not adopting a philosophy that has this kind of political implications and so forth. So. It's different to say anarchy and anarchist. It's very, it's a very different thing. I think. I mean, when when you're saying yeah. I am an anarchist, a la Proudhon, you know, that's a very strong statement, and he's a man of thought and words. And when you say anarchy, that's a situation that people exist in. That's something you can theorize on how that actually plays out, not just philosophically, but practically. But when it comes, and it's it's a situation that people do spontaneously figure out how to deal with. But can they be helped by, you know, theory and ideas, and maybe actually adopting ideas that they would not have spontaneously come up with by putting those ideas in the marketplace of ideas absolutely so i think there's there's usefulness to discuss things that are explicitly and implicitly anarchist um mm -hmm. philosophically and but the actual situation of anarchy is a situation that you know kind of arrives in the physical world by like the state of affairs which um how do you get there without people, everybody being philosophical anarchists or, or, or so forth? I mean, you know, that's another kind of state. But again, do you necessarily get there? Do you get there through, through some kind of great disaster or great, you know, global warfare? And then hopefully not. But do you also, do you get there through having a kind of a substrate under the, the system where people are just kind of doing without the state because they see that as as less necessary given like where society's at where um 
what their capacity is like it's usefulness i guess mm-hmm, in people's mm-hmm. day-to-day lives and i mean you know you go to another place i mean we have a problem with the american state for certain reasons in in the western you know like western developed fully you know fully um integrated states but go to a place like 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 niger or or, or um like tajikistan or some place like that and and, and ask them or even a even a country as developed as iran in many cases ask them their opinion of like state power and, and and what it's like to go get you know you look you think about the dmv here go ask them what it's like to get a permit and just you know yes you have to deal with some bureaucracy here and sometimes you can deal with the local government that can be have have some kind of mean-spirited people on the board and you might have some local politics to deal with over there like you don't deal with a cop you don't get a you get a permit without going jumping through some hoops it's that's the world they live in is a world of like Byzantine tyranny, not just even just regular, you've got to, you know, pay the chief 10% of your money to tyr- tyranny. So Brian's I think that, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I think that, you know, I think you get in a situation where people kind of, you know, do without the state in, in kind of really, I guess a, a better way to put it is the Rothbardian sense um, from anatomy of the state where, it exists not as a form of like direct tyranny. It exists because it maintains a crucial level of support from people, not because they're brainwashed and not because mm-hmm. they have the wrong ideas about things. I mean, they're, these are self-interested ultimately people and they might have their own, like, you know, ethos or like own ideas that they cling to like nationalism and other things. But, but Ultimately, they it has the support of people for reasons. What will we do with that? What's the kind of factual, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you you do also get you, you do also see like a more direct tyranny in places where the state offers a lot less conveniences. So if we reach a level of I don't know technical sophistication, I mean, I, I just gotta say like global instantaneous communication being pretty much available almost in every country at this mm-hmm. point. I think that kind of, that allows us to kind of do without Byzantine bureaucracies, um, yes. whether there are in the sense of you might encounter in like Burkina Faso or whether even the even the kind of stuff that you have to deal with the American state, which might be a little different in, 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 in quality and quantity. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a different aspect, but ultimately you are dealing with uh, a centralized authority that exists for, some reasons and others and serve some people in different ways yeah. than it serves others. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, I think that the, the technological infrastructure that we've created today, you know, particularly the internet and so on, um, is upending a lot of legacy institutions. And I don't mean this in the corny way that like investors and VCs talk about it. I mean, in a very real way where, uh, there, I, I do think that, well, first off, I think we're already in world war three right now. Um, it's just being fought in the infrastructure in a different infrastructure than like stopping the water system or well, sometimes it might even do that. But anyway, um, so there's that. But also it, it is upending like the necessity and the the legacy systems, even like, you know, our, like the voting system or the, the electoral college, all these concepts that are, you know, pillars in American uh, democracy uh, were made for the horse and buggy. That's the technology it was designed to work with. Okay, as to where that's not how things happen anymore. And, you know, the cracks in that in in these legacy concepts are showing 
and it's going to fall apart. Um, and I don't think it's really going to be a very pretty time, but something else is going to come up, you know, within that, uh, that may work with the technological infrastructure that could survive that. Um, I think that that's, you know, that that's going to happen. Um, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people and I'm in this, look, I'm not, okay. First off, I'm not making, I'm not picking on anybody or insulting them for when I said potheads, like, I don't care. Like that, that, that's fine. Rock and roll, you know, um, I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't know what somebody addicted to coffee is called, but I'm that, uh, so, um, but I'm not, I'm not making fun yep. of that. But also when I say this, when I say that people are lazy, I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I mean that, you know, like this is how you innovate is you appeal to people's laziness. Okay. And that's because most people are. And I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that 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 that's so. And because of that, you know, that kind of speaks to Penguin, what you were saying about, you know, that government might just take the role of more of a support structure rather than this top down tyrannical structure, you know, uh, if, if I understood you correctly. And yeah, I could see that where there's going to be these systems that just appeal to people's laziness. Um, and but I mean, that laziness can be so strong that 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 you know, in some systems, people might feel like, yeah, you're going to have to force me to pay those taxes. I mean, it's just, again, I, I don't have a, a, a grand hope uh, for where all of this is going, but I do believe that people can survive, like Sec brilliantly said, people can survive in the cracks, do all the cool shit in the cracks. Um, and that takes some work, but the pleasure from that is well worth it. And that's what I'm all about is living in the cracks and, uh, and thriving there. All right. Well, um, that, that's not exactly what I meant, but that's a good, just as good of a okay. theory yeah, as sure. is, that's as good of a theory as yeah as, as any uh, as mine. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, Brian, you got to go. Actually, I got to kind of bounce too. Um, but that was that was a great convo and a great like ending for that. I, I think. Um, yeah, I was a I was actually kind yeah. of a crazy topic, but that kind of morphed into an entirely different thing, right? <laughs> I want one quick sec. thing. Let yeah, me just. Go ahead, sec. Let me just toot our horns a little bit. Yeah. We can disagree mm -hmm. and it's totally fine. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It, like, um, I think some people got the impression that uh, you and I were saying some sort of heated argument last time and then we disagreed again this time. But the way, and I don't right. want to speak for you, Brian, but the way I see these sorts of things, it's just like these are thoughts that each person has like their own set of experiences and values yep. and and all sorts of things and and for preferences and whatever else and like these thoughts and ways of doing things are optimal for me and then you brian has his everyone's got their own way of doing things that are optimal for them brian's figured out what's optimal for him there is no there isn't the right answer I keep saying I, I don't care i do care these are interesting things to talk yeah. about and at the end of the day it's just like these are, um, there isn't a right answer. There isn't a knowable answer, like whether it's pacifism right. or anarchism or right. speculation about the future or any of these things. So there isn't a right answer. So it doesn't do me any good to get like passionately angry <laughs> that somebody <laughs> feels a different way about it. It's just like, oh, well, that's that the way you feedback? got it. That's interesting. Um, yeah, was that feedback you actually got or kind of just commentary? No, I had a number of people because, describe it as an argument and I, that could really? mean a number of different things. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah 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 but but honestly i i i think that's great i i want to differ with you more sec in this podcast i think that i think that'd make for a better podcast not a worse podcast if we differ on things like that's like if anything we we, we agreed too much yeah. on the earlier episodes yeah no i'm really i mean seriously like same same brian except that we're all kind of on the same page except we're not but you know what yeah. i mean um yeah no i think that makes for a better podcast in many cases well to to quote nikki six to keep this metal um to quote nikki six without conflict life would be pretty boring wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no uh, yeah but, but yeah um, you just we don't have to be dicks at the same no, right. time that, that's know? the difference just yeah. don't be a dick like that really the, the key to freedom is just don't be a dick you know it's just the problem is yeah. most people can't even handle that or in my opinion anyway but you know j- yeah just to assuage this like folks understand second i we talk on telegram literally every day like pretty much every day <laughs> so, yeah mostly yeah yeah, yeah if right. you're worried that like oh man these guys are in each other's throats no um and but though though i do hope that in the next into the void um, that sec just like thrashes me uh, on, on why I'm wrong about this, but <laughs> but, but there we go. Okay, uh, <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> Bring it on. It, it, we really we got to talk about. I I think talking about like the the history of at least online libertarianism. Um, I, I boy, I think that that's a that's a subject. I mean, that uh, we can go way back if you want to. I mean, you sure. want to go to the Second English Civil War? You know, like. <laughs> See, the, go, I thought we, we were that. talking recent, but we, you've, you've, yes, you've, I've told you we've got to talk about some of that stuff because you, yeah. you were talking to me about some of that stuff, like just bits and pieces, like when I first met you. And it's like, we've never done that. I could have just picked up a book, of course, but I'd much rather, I don't know, talk about it on a podcast. I love podcasts. But anyway, I love listening to podcasts and I like making them. Hell yeah. Yeah. yeah right, let's do, do that it. next time. We'll do a, a boring history one. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. Shake it up. Yep. Yep. All right, fellas. Um, all right, well, everybody. Uh, Brian, thanks for coming on. Um, everybody listening, be excellent to each other and uh, peace, fellas. Peace. All right, ciao.